0: Hello, this is episode 284 and in it I want to share with you some learnings, some personal experience and some insights into why your house or your home might be so cold. I'm going to be discussing some of the key things to understand if you're wanting to improve the comfort of your home when you're renovating or ensure that your new home is built to provide a thermally comfortable environment for you. The World Health Organization states that if your home is, on average, less than 18 degrees per day during winter months, it's a home that's impacting your health and well-being detrimentally. And Australia is notorious for having cold homes, with four out of five homes considered cold across the country. You can definitely change this as part of your renovation or new build project, so let's learn more. Now, remember, if you'd like to grab a full transcript of this episode, plus information and links on things that we discuss, then you can do that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 284. That's the numbers 284. Now, let's dive in. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and I recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters, skies and communities. I pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to Elders both past and present. If we haven't met before, I'm Amelia Lee. Based in Northern New South Wales, Australia, I'm a wife, mum and architect and I've worked in the architectural industry for over 27 years now. Having worked on over 250 projects, mainly residential family homes, as well as significantly renovating three homes of my own with my hubby, whilst our three kids were babies, toddlers, and even older, I have a personal and professional understanding of the joy, challenges, stresses, and excitement of making your family home a reality. In mid-2014, I started Undercover Architect, and it's an online business to help and teach homeowners like you how to get it right when designing, building, and renovating your family home. Undercover Architect is all about giving you access to the industry knowledge and insights you need to avoid the mistakes and dramas that can cost you thousands, tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's about levelling the playing field so that the world of renovating and building doesn't seem so mysterious, and you can be the active driver in your project, navigating it with know-how and confidence. Undercover Architect helps and teaches homeowners through this podcast the website and our online courses and programs, including my flagship program, Home Method. I truly believe that when you know the questions to ask, the steps to take and the best way to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in, you can enjoy the process of building and renovating, as well as the home that you move into at the end of this ambitious journey. Consider Undercover Architect your secret ally, whoever you're working with and whatever your location, your budget or your dreams. Grab access to my free online workshop, Your Project Plan, and learn super helpful information to save time, money and stress in your Renault or new build. You can find it at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. Now, let's get on to the episode. Why is my home so cold? Well, to answer you succinctly, it's because it's not designed or built to suit the climate that you're in. Now, homes don't have to be cold or hot just because the way that's our climate is. uh, And they can be designed and constructed as buildings that shelter and protect us from the outdoor conditions and provide thermally comfortable environments with regulated temperatures internally. That is possible. But of course, there's a much longer answer to that question. And understanding why it's so cold in your home can give you a pathway to fixing it with a renovation or improving uh, the situation in a new build. But it's, it's really not the whole story. So I want to help you understand more about what to review and what to do so that you can navigate your project more confidently. This podcast episode has actually been prompted by a few things. Now, firstly, coming up on the podcast very soon is going to be an amazing series that I'll, I'll be taking you through the updates to the National Construction Code in Australia. I'm recording this in August 2023. We're going to be talking about uh, NCC 2022, which is the update that was due to come in last year. It's uh, We're actually waiting still to implement it on the 1st of October 2023. It's coming in various ways in various parts around the country. And this update is actually one of the biggest changes that we've had to design and building regulations for a long time in Australia. It's met a lot of opposition from certain sectors in the industry. It's been pushed back because of COVID and other pressures in the industry. And it's it's still not being adopted in full everywhere. However, it is a change for the better and as a listener to this podcast and a member of the UA community, I want to arm you with information about these changes and about what they mean for your renovation or new build. You're going to learn all about the terminology, the intent, the approval pathways, the best way to structure your team and a raft of other details about NCC 2022. Uh, and and building better in general so that's all going to be coming up very soon on the podcast and it's going to take us about three months or so of episodes to go through that series and if you're uh, not from Australia I think there'll still be content in there that's super relevant for you um, so that you can understand more about building better um, wherever you're located. Now secondly the reason for this episode is I sent out a UA News email a while ago about why our homes are so cold It was quite a short email but it said this Yesterday was the first day of winter here in the Southern Hemisphere. How is your home performing this winter? Each time winter rolls round, I bemoan our home, which is not great in winter. Now, my home was built in the 1990s by a builder as his own home, and it was designed by him as well. It's a very sturdy, weatherboard, farmhouse-style home, and many come here and they think that it's 100 years old or more due to its style and its detailing. However, it's not that old at all. And yet, it is as leaky and non airtight as a 100 year old home might be. So, this includes we've got single glazed, double hung windows, which rattle in the wind. We've got no in wall insulation, a suspended timber floor that sits about 30 centimetres off the ground with no underfloor insulation. We've got a perimeter veranda around the living areas of our home that actually cuts off northern sunlight into the home's interior. It's a well oriented site, but it's a home that's not necessarily designed uh, to work for that orientation. And of course, you know, all of these things are on our radar to improve when we renovate the home. But in the meantime, we have a plethora of blankets on the sofa and we love our hot water bottles. And during the day, I definitely head outside to enjoy the sunshine and the warmth as much as I can. Ah, The joys of living in an unrenovated, poorly performing home. I know that many in the UA community can relate. And then I went on to cite that, in fact, the performance of Australian homes generally is woeful. And an article in The Conversation from May 2023 identified new research that suggests that around four out of five Australian homes fail to meet World Health Organisation minimum standards for warmth. And interestingly, they'd written similar articles in 2017 and 2015. So clearly Australian homes and our population are still struggling with this. And I went on to say that it's been really awesome to see Home Method members recently finishing off their projects and celebrating the gorgeous winter sunlight that's spilling into their homes and their living areas and their comfortable homes that work for their climate. And I included some photographs of uh, some Home Method projects that have been finished in this particular newsletter. Now, at the time, I got a lot of messages about that email. Many were sharing with me the, the their own experiences of living in a cold home or their cold and dark home, or their cold and damp home, or it was all of the above, and how they really couldn't wait to make things better with their new build or renovation project so they didn't have to live in a cold, a dark, or a damp home anymore. In the article that I shared from the conversation in that email, it cited a presentation from the University of South Australia about Australia's invisible cold housing crisis. And it mentioned that Australia's housing contributes to a mortality rate of 6% due to moderate cold. And that 6% is actually greater than Sweden. So for context, our average temperature in July in Australia is, that's our uh, sort of coldest average temperature, it's 11.3 degrees Celsius. Sweden's, (laughs) by contrast, is greater than negative 30 degrees Celsius but Australia is the one with the higher mortality rate uh, that is then attributed to the housing conditions that we have. Now, the conversation uh, in its article talked about a study that they'd done and it said about six years ago, we wondered just how cold Australian homes were. Over the past few winters, we've been measuring people's in-home temperature Our latest research suggests that more than three quarters of Australian homes were cold last winter, having an average winter temperature of less than 18 degrees, which is the World Health Organization's recommended minimum, during occupied waking hours. And it said this is startling. Previously, it has been thought that only about 5% of people were cold. So it was saying they were finding three quarters of Australian homes. They'd originally thought that it was about 5%. Now, for our study, temperature sensors were placed in 100 homes across temperate New South Wales, South Australia, Tasmania, Victoria and Western Australia. Two thirds of Australia's population live in these temperate climate zones. And across the sampled homes, 81% were below 18 degrees Celsius on average across the whole of winter. The homes averaged 16.5 degrees across occupied waking hours and the coldest homes had a minimum hourly average of just five degrees Celsius. So yes, Queenslanders, Canberrans and Northern Territorians, you weren't included in this research. However, having lived in eight different houses personally and in Brisbane over 12 and a half years, most of which were some version of a lightweight timber frame or a weather- with weatherboard cladding, my personal experience of living in Brisbane in those kinds of houses, they were bitterly cold during winter as well. So I you know, I, I don't think that it, it, because you're in a slightly warmer location that you're potentially immune to this. Now, after I sent this email back in June, Kate O'Toole, who is a host and journalist from the ABC Radio in Brisbane, she actually got in touch with me because she wanted to do an interview with me on her Saturday radio show about why our homes are so cold and what we can do to fix it. So... I'm going to be fully frank with you because another big reason for this podcast episode is because I did that interview with uh, Kate last week. I did it as a pre-recorded one, uh, but we just did a straight run through and then she edited it down into the interview that she put on on Saturday morning. And I, I wasn't really happy with how I answered the questions in the interview. I think what happened was that my head was just swimming with... All of the amazing information that I've been gathering from these incredible NCC 2022 interviews that I've been, you know, uh, running over the last few weeks in preparation for these episodes coming up on the podcast. And so what I found was she'd asked these questions that were quite open and big, you know, big and open ended. And I really struggled to answer them succinctly. And I tried, you know, instead, unfortunately, cramming a lot of information into my answers. And I think it probably sounded a bit confusing as a result. I actually said to my hubby and to my kids that night, I don't think I did a great job of that interview. And I wish that I could have a a do over. And, you know, then I thought, well, how can I do that? And I actually thought, well, I'll create a podcast episode on it. This will then enable me to provide some help that's in a, a meaningful and better way. And hopefully then it's a useful resource going forward for any time somebody Googles, you know, why is my house cold? And so for those listening, thinking, oh, my house isn't cold, I'm going to check out here and stop listening but it might be that it's warm in summer and that's what you're dealing with, then the information I'm sharing on this episode is actually going to be helpful for you as well. Because what I'm talking about is really the key things that you need to understand when you're designing and building for your climate. Okay. So why is your house cold? Well, as I said earlier, it's because of the design and construction of your home that it is cold. It's as simple and as complex as that. And if you're renovating or building new, the solution to creating a more thermally comfortable home is in its design and construction. So I've gathered together seven things that I think you can consider when you're reviewing why your home is cold and what you can then uh, do do to fix it or take on board in terms of navigating it. Now, of course, these things are going to apply differently whether you're building new or you're renovating an existing home. And for those who are renovating, I want to just share something quickly before we dive into these seven things, these seven uh, key areas. I want to refer you to the interview that I did with Melanie Lupus from uh, from Sustainability Certified. That's episode 262 on the podcast. And it's all about the Residential Efficiency Scorecard um, Scheme, which is a scheme that was actually established in Victoria and is now available all around Australia. They have schemes like this in other locations around the world as well. With the residential scorecard, the residential efficiency scorecard, what happens is an accredited assessor can come out to your home. They can do a review that helps you ascertain how your home's doing from an energy efficiency point of view. They give it a star rating. They also then make recommendations to rectify it. And Melanie goes through the details of what that whole kind of assessment process looks like and what you can expect to see and how you can interact with the accredited assessor. It's all on that. Uh, podcast episode and there's also links on there to for you you to be able to find an assessor near you that could potentially do this for you you know if you have an existing home that's not performing well for you and it's hot in summer and it's cold in winter and you've got ever-increasing energy bills and lots of artificial heating and cooling required in order for it to be mildly comfortable you'll find that doing something like this can be a great early step in understanding more about your home and also help perhaps establish a pathway forward to improve it as part of your renovation scope so make sure you check that episode that episode out episode 262 if you haven't listened to it already so let's now dive into the seven areas that will really help assist you determining why your home is cold and what to pay attention to so number one your home is cold because it isn't designed for the orientation of your site now, it's probably no surprise that this is my first suggestion. If you spend any time here at Undercover Architect, you'll know that I talk about designing for the orientation of your site a lot and understanding the movement of the sun across your site and how your home is designed to respond to that. It's really, I believe, the single biggest thing that you can do to set your home up well and to be able to passively heat and cool your home. Now, I have a whole season on this right back in season one, and then you can go on to listen to season two. It'll help you understand how this applies room by room. If you haven't listened to season one, it is still the most popular content on the podcast. I get such a buzz to hear from homeowners who tell me that they learned all about orientation and designing for it uh, for the first time by listening to those episodes, because it changed the way that their home was designed and their home now works and feels great for them and for their climate. So make sure you check out that info for much more detail on this topic. As a quick tip for you though, one of the first things that I do when approaching a new build design project is I actually do a bubble diagram just to see where the spaces should be on a site based on its orientation. And I'll explain a little bit more about that in a minute. But sometimes you'll find that you'll do that and then you discover that they can't be laid out like that based on things like the access to the site, you know, where the driveway might be, the neighbours, the site conditions. And so the spaces need to be in different locations on the site, varying from where they w- you would like them to be for the orientation. So, then what you can start to do is, you know, I then look at how we can arrange them to still enable access to the right sunlight at the right time of day and year and what we'll potentially need to do with the building form itself to ensure that we can get the right light reaching the right spaces in other ways. And I explain more about that in our season one. So, um, check that out because there's a lot more involved in that. Now, if you're renovating, what I do is I look at where the existing spaces are and how well they suit the orientation of the site. And you know what I used to find, particularly when I did a lot of work in Brisbane on old Queenslanders and renovating old Queenslanders, I would find that those homes, they often ignored the orientation and you can find this with a lot of old homes because they're designed to do certain things based on what was happening in that era when they were first built. And Queenslanders were all about addressing the street and creating that outlook, that conversation zone zone from the front veranda, you know, when streets and the fronts of houses were used that way by communities. And then more often than not, what would... What happens in those Queenslanders is you'll find the surface zones are actually at the back. So you'll have a kitchen with potentially a toilet or a bathroom at the back and there won't be much outlook to the backyard and definitely not much natural light coming from that direction. So if you review an existing floor plan of a home like this, thinking about how well does it suit the orientation of the site as it is, then you can start to assess whether the renovation offers you opportunity to rearrange the spaces for better orientation. Or if you're extending, you can see if the new build work can be well-oriented and used for uh, spaces that you'll be in a lot, like your primary living areas, and then the existing house might accommodate the sleeping zones and the less used spaces. So this is, you know, often, there's often a lot that you can do to correct this in old homes when you're going about your design, but you need to think about it first. So it's really important. Let's just do a quick run through of how to think about the layout of your home and this is for listeners in the Southern Hemisphere so if you're in the Northern Hemisphere listening to this make sure you switch North for South and vice versa so it makes sense for you because your sun moves through the South and in the Southern Hemisphere the sun, the same sun (laughs) but it moves through the North. Um, So firstly your primary living spaces are ideally to the northeast and the North where they're going to get sunlight throughout the day. Your sleeping zones can be to the east or the south, depending on where you want whether you want morning light in your sleeping zones or you want to have the ambient daylight of southern orientation. Kitchens ideally on the east or the north, but don't put them on the north at the cost of a living area getting northerly aspect. You'll find that a west orientation is tricky for kitchens, especially in summer, because you'll you'll find that it can mean that they're getting warmed up by the sun in that late afternoon, early evening, and you're also in there cooking and generating heat. Studies and offices uh, are great to the south where there's ambient light, particularly with computer screens and um, studying and things like that. Of course, you need to at the same time manage the harsher afternoon summer sun, uh, which sets south of west. And then service areas and garages to the west where the sun can be harsh in summer because you'll find those areas are useless and they can buffer other spaces in your home from the heat of the afternoon sun. And ideally your garage is on the southwest um, corner of your home. Now there are variances to this based on climate of course. I always get questions from those that are in the southern or colder regions about whether it would be better to put the bedrooms on the western side where they might get afternoon sun. People also ask if their living room should be on the northwest for similar reasons. I also get asked what happens if your view is to the west and how you deal with that. And in fact, I've actually got a whole blog post on that, which I'll pop in the resources for you. That'll be helpful. It really is a climate by climate and a site by site investigation. That's the beauty of this. You can. It's possible and I really encourage you to do it. You can create a solution that suits your site uniquely and it's actually my dream that everyone, everyone gets to live in a home that is designed for the climate and the orientation of its site. Now we have a history instead of cookie cutter houses uh, in Australia, all over the world actually, that are from all eras of history that ignore orientation so take the opportunity in your new build or renovation project to change this and you will reap the benefits immensely you want to work with a designer who prioritizes this because not all do you would think that passive design and designing for orientation would be you know kind of design 101 in every designer's training and approach but unfortunately i have seen enough home designs to know that this is not the case And I also encourage you to consider bringing your energy efficiency assessor on board during the design process because they'll be able to do modelling and give you database feedback as you design. And this is going to be especially relevant as we increase to seven stars and whole of home rating with the NCC 2022 updates. You're going to hear more about this in the upcoming series of episodes that I've got, particularly in my conversation with Jeremy Spencer from Positive Footprints. He's coming back on the podcast to talk about that. Now, reason number two that your home is cold is because it doesn't have any insulation or it does, but it's no longer doing the job. I actually think that most people I speak to and work with, they understand that insulations become a bit of a no-brainer in Australian homes. Now, this has obviously changed over the decades and years past where insulation was optional or it was simply considered that the roof was the only place that needed it in extreme climates. Now, as we've increased the energy efficiency of our homes, both in Australia and elsewhere, insulation has been an obvious choice to include in a home's construction, so it can buffer itself from the external variations in temperature and maintain more regular thermal conditions inside. So, what level of insulation should you have? Well, this is going to come down to the design of your home, to the site, to the climate that you're in, your energy rating requirements and, of course, your budget – And what type of insulation should you have? Well, there are so many on the market these days, but I would recommend checking the sustainability credentials of any product that you're reviewing. And of course, its ability to maintain its shape and its density over time. Now, for renovations, there are various products that you can use when retrofitting insulation to an existing home as well. And it's always a great first review when you are renovating to improve the home's thermal performance by looking at what the insulation situation is and and, uh, adding it. Does the R value matter? This is another question that I get. Well, yes, as it's how the performance of insulation is measured generally, but the R value doesn't tell the whole story. And many will choose a product with a higher R value or they'll double up their insulation. But you can find that the effect can be nominal and not correlate with the cost um, to a certain extent. So James Cornell from Life Panels, he's a building science whiz. And uh, I've done three podcast episodes with him. And one of them in particular shares a lot more information on what to actually understand on insulation, how to kind of compare insulation products as well in terms of reading all the data on them. Um, so I, uh, I'll pop that link in the resource. That's a really useful uh, resource when you're choosing insulation. Now, it's also essential that your insulation is installed properly. So we'll talk more about that over the upcoming episodes, but you may have heard Jenny Edwards from Lighthouse Architecture and Science say this. Sarah Lebner from Cooey Architectures also said it. I've repeated it several times as well. A five millimeter gap in your insulation can reduce its effectiveness by up to fifty percent. So a five mil gap, just a little five mil gap, because somebody didn't put it in properly, is going to halve potentially up to halve the benefit that that um, insulation is providing you. So you've kind of just wasted half your budget that you've spent on your insulation. So. It'll include when you've got poorly installed insulation, somebody's put it in and doesn't really know what they're doing and it's just slapdash. Sometimes an electrician can pull a piece of insulation out of the way to put a downlight in either before you've moved in or, you know, during a renovation and not put it back in place. And so there's a great big hole in your ceiling uh, where the insulation should be. Uh, and then sometimes it can just sag under its own weight due to age or other things that have happened to it in its, um, in its, we in its situation. So, uh, it's really definitely uh, worthwhile considering that as you think about why your home's cold and how you're going to fix it. Now, number three, your home is cold because it isn't airtight. So I've again, I've spoken about airtightness on Undercover Architect before. We're definitely going to be speaking more about it in these upcoming episodes on NCC 2022. Many people will confuse an airtight home with a stuffy home, but an airtight home simply means that you are able to control where air leaves and enters the home because you can do it by opening windows and doors or using mechanical ventilation methods. A non-airtight home will leak air through the cracks in the floors and the walls, but in the junctions between them, uh, through the ceiling and the roof and around windows and doors. And it will do this day in, day out, every day of the year, whether you like it or not. And so what that means is that any money you're spending on heating or cooling the internal environment of the home is just going to be dissipating to outside. And what your outside air conditions are like is also going to be infiltrating the home as well, potentially bringing with it pollutants and other problems. Now, of course, if you've also paid to put insulation in the walls and the ceilings of your home, but your home isn't airtight, then that insulation can be pretty much wasted as well. So our climate definitely needs homes being built for airtightness. We're going to talk more about this in an upcoming conversation that I've got with Jessica Allen from Climashore because there are ways that you can test the airtightness of your home and of course uh, you can do that with an existing home if you're planning a renovation and you can also test your home during construction to make sure if you're trying to seek a specific level of air tightness in your finished home, Jessica's going to talk more about us, about blower door tests with us and what they are and what they involve as well. Okay, reason number four that your home is cold is because it feels damp. So your home can be damp for a range of reasons. It may be sited in an area with bad drainage. You might have overland flow paths around or underneath the home. It might have loads of vegetation around it that keeps moisture against the house. Uh, It could be in shady areas so it can't dry out when it is sunny or there could be rising damp in the walls or there's cracks or leaks that are allowing water ingress or it's not managing the humidity in its indoor air. So some of these will be landscaping, topography, drainage and general building rectification issues that need to be reviewed as part of a new build or renovation project. And so, you know, considering them in a renovation, but then if you're working with a designer or a builder on a new build, you want to get them to assess your site for any of these potential challenges. And sometimes you might need some additional specialist consultants as well. Now, before I move on and away from dampness, I feel like we can't talk about dampness, air tightness and insulation without discussing condensation. Because of course, condensation can be a cause of dampness in homes and it can contribute to much bigger problems as well. So what do I mean when I talk about condensation? Well, it's when water vapour in the air becomes water on a surface due to a change in temperature that will turn a gas into a liquid. So the water, you know, might be, when you see droplets of water on the outside of a of a, a bottle of beer, or um, it might be that it's water sitting on the inside of your single glazed window on a cold morning. As we make our homes more airtight, and then we don't have ways of allowing the water vapor that's created in our homes to dry out or to be removed from our indoor air, then you'll find that condensation will appear visibly on hard surfaces like glass and metal in the building envelope of your home in porous products though like plasterboard timber and insulation that water can be absorbed and we produce a lot of water vapor in our everyday lives by breathing sweating cooking showering etc you know liters of water worth every day condensation on its own is not harmful however in a home it can become detrimental when it can't dry out and then it gets absorbed into building materials and it creates issues with mold And so mould in your home can be seriously detrimental on the home's construction, particularly if it's within the walls and the structure. And of course, mould can be very detrimental on occupant health as well. Now, I did an episode a while back with Alex Stewart of Low Tox Life about mould in our homes. That's definitely worth listening to if you haven't listened to it before, both from the home point of view and the health point of view as well. Um, And then I've also got building biologist Zara Dakota coming up in an episode uh, very soon who's going to talk more on this as well. The efforts that you go to to make your home more comfortable thermally, they need to be done with condensation mitigation in mind. So whether you're building new or you're renovating, there are specific considerations for your building envelope construction, your mechanical ventilation, dehumidification, amongst other factors to assist with condensation mitigation. It's a risk that really does need to be taken seriously and other countries like New Zealand and Canada, they are way ahead of us on this because they've suffered significantly from what's known as leaky building syndrome and so their legislation was updated to respond and to manage that. We're starting to catch up with our legislation in Australia in the hope that we'll avoid the issues altogether, which we may or we may not, but we are definitely moving in the right direction. Now, these last three items that I'm going to go through of my seven that um, they will help you with addressing condensation mitigation, but also they're going to help with managing your home's thermal comfort so you don't have a cold home or a, war- a warm home in summer either. So number five reason that your home is cold is because it's built, uh, it's building envelope construction and windows are not designed and built to provide thermal comfort for your climate. So what I've discussed in items two, three and four about air tightness, insulation and condensation it's, of course, going to be directly impacted by the decisions that you make about how your building envelopes actually constructed, what makes it up, and then going with this is the type of windows, uh, glass windows and doors that you install. Now, I do find that many can find this overwhelming to start thinking about, and I think that's just because we're so used to building homes the same way that we have for decades. You know, it's brick veneer or it's timber frame with lightweight cladding or even steel framing. It just always looks the same or a wall always goes together the same way. And if you want a wall that's more protective for you, then the answer is generally to add insulation into it. But as I said earlier, if you have water vapour moving through that wall and it hits something cold like the metal or the outdoor air temperature, it's going to condensate and it's potentially going to wet your insulation. It's going to get absorbed into your timber or the back of your plasterboard and mould can grow. If it doesn't have any way to dry out, that's uh, through an air cavity, then that's what's going to happen. So it's really important to be discussing Uh, your building envelope construction with your team and ideally this needs to happen from the design phase because it can impact the construction methodology, the materials and the dimensions of all of the components as well. So for example you know something as simple as when you might be working to an external setback requirement or a specific building footprint that's measured to the outside face of the walls. Then of course the wall thickness is going to then impact what your interior spaces can be. If the external envelope is the limit, then the thickness of your walls is then going to drive what your interior spaces can be. So you want to know how thick those walls are going to be. Now. You really want to assess the performance of your building envelope and its suitability for your climate, how it's going to manage weather conditions, vapor permeability and thermal protection, whilst you're managing your budget and having the aesthetic appearance that you're chasing. Your windows, they're generally going to be the weakest point in your building envelope and they can also be highly conductive in the temperature transfer of outside to inside and vice versa, particularly if you have aluminum frames. So An option is, of course, to choose double glazing with thermally broken frames. If you're renovating an existing home and you're trying to figure out whether to replace existing single glazed windows with double glazed ones, I would highly recommend that you get an energy efficiency assessment done by an energy efficiency assessor to help you make this decision. Now, inside Home Method, there's actually this really great training session from architect and energy efficiency assessor Sid2. He actually goes through an exercise that he did with a client who was wanting to improve her home and increase its energy efficiency, improve its star rating. So he did the energy efficiency assessment of her home as it was and unrenovated state, looked at its star rating at that level. And then he worked through the ideas individually based on sort of different things that they were going to explore and, and modelled them individually of each other so that he could determine the impact that they would have on that star rating and that energy efficiency. And then they got those sort of items packaged up as, as prices so that they could then start to see the value proposition of each. So, you know, double glazing might improve the star rating by this much and then cost this much to do. Is that worth it to us? And sort of thinking through it like that. And a review like this can you know it can look at things like retrofitting insulation it can look at upgrading to double glazing it can look like adding or removing specific windows based on you know getting better sunlight into the home or reducing heat loss from the home you can even look at your home's exterior colors and whether changing that can impact the star rating um, single glazed windows you'll find can be a massive contributor to how cold your home actually is because they're terrible at insulating your interior a single piece of glass does nothing so if you're renovating and you can't afford to, you know, change your windows, then I would start looking at what you can do with window furnishings that you can include because you can really then improve your ability to uh, retain your warmth inside your home in winter and build the habit of when you close curtains or blinds and things like that as the temperature drops every evening to uh, keep the warmth inside the home and stop it disappearing through those single-glazed windows. There's also a great session with Tracy Gramlich from the Aluminium Window Association. In it, she discussed how to review uh, a window's performance and how to compare different kinds of windows with each other if you're trying to make choices to see how they're gonna work for your climate. Now, reason number six, look, this isn't directly why your home is cold, but in fixing or preventing your future home from being cold, you're gonna need to understand more about building wraps or as the NCC 2022 calls them, Pliable building membranes. So, most of you will be familiar with the blue or green building wrap or foil sarking that you see getting added to a home during its construction, generally after the wall frames go up. And sometimes it'll be just on the roof itself, and it's intended to create a barrier between the inside and the outside to assist with temperature management. And the foil uh, is often used to radiate heat in a particular direction based on the climate that the home is in, whether it needs to radiate heat out or radiate heat in. Now, the problem with this type of sarking or wall wrap or building wrap is that it's not vapor permeable. Yes, they punch holes in it to try and create vapor permeability, but that's not ideal. And you'll learn more about that in upcoming episodes. And, you know, remember that I said earlier, you need a way for moisture to pass through your wall and and pass right through into either outside completely or into an air cavity where it can dry out. Then a foil sarking doesn't really permit that. Modern building wraps are able to achieve vapour permeability whilst being weather-resistive. So they'll allow the water vapour to move out of the home and through travel through that building wrap, but they'll also then protect the home from any moisture or water that might make its way through the building's cladding. So the updates in the NCC 2022 mean that foil sarking as we know it, as far as I'm aware, will no longer be able to be used on homes. And in the standard that exists for these kinds of products, there are classifications for building wraps of class one to class four. NCC 2022 now contains information about which class needs to be used in which climate zone. And we're gonna talk more about that in some upcoming episodes. I actually have Jesse Clark from Proclimber coming on and ProClimber is a global company that actually makes all sorts of building wraps. Jesse's amazing. He's done so much research and knows so much around this area. So he really shares a huge amount of knowledge and wisdom on the topic. It's going to be really great for you to hear that. I think it'll help a lot. So your home isn't necessarily cold because of its building wrap, but as you go on to improve your home, you're going to want to consider including this in your building envelope construction. Now, Understandably when you're renovating, it can be difficult to retrofit wall wraps to and and roof wraps and things like that to an existing home if you're you know, if you are doing a renovation and you're not removing the external cladding or wall material or removing the roofing, uh, because it will usually go on the outside of your frame. But it is worth assessing what's possible with your existing home, whether there's alternates for where the wrap might be able to go. You know, you really want to consider it if you're doing any new building works, you can consider it in those new building works that you're doing. Okay, so my last reason, reason number seven as to why your home is cold is your home is cold uh, because of thermal bridging. So hopefully by now you're seeing that what I'm talking about is how you can create a building envelope that just better protects you and your indoor air temperature and also protects your indoor air quality from what's going on outside so that when it is cold you can keep any of that artificial heating that you're doing inside the home you can also work with the home passively as well you cannot lose the heat through your you know the walls uh, the walls the floors and the roof in an uncontrolled way that will then cause problems both in the building and in the occupant health and you can create a fantastically insulated airtight building envelope with fantastic high performance windows that do all the right things but if you haven't thought about thermal bridging in accompaniment with all of that, then it's going to undermine the work and expense that you've put into the building envelope. So thermal bridging is defined in the NCC like this. It says, thermal bridging in practical terms for the NCC is an unintended path of heat flow using a path of least resistance through a building envelope between the outside and the inside. Thermal bridges may occur where there is an interu- interruption in the insulation or or where materials with high thermal conductivity are used. As an example, if a steel truss roof directly supports an insulated corrugated iron roof, the heat flows through the truss more readily than the surrounding insulation, negating the effect of the insulation. That is the truss acts as a thermal bridge. Now, as I mentioned before, your aluminum window frames, unless they're thermally broken in design, they're gonna be highly conductive or thermal bridges in your home. Equally, if you've got steel beams that sit in your walls, They can also do this if they're not insulated. So assessing your home's design, either as a new home or renovation project with this in mind, it becomes really important just to mitigate its risk and its impact on your home's thermal comfort. And yes, we've got more on that in upcoming episodes. Okay, so I want to just recap on these seven areas that I've discussed because I know I've moved through them quite quickly And it's because I know I've got so much more helpful information coming your way very, very soon that's really going to get into the nuts and bolts of these things. But I wanted to be able to put uh, an overview and a summary all in one place uh, and then it can give you kind of guideposts to where you need to go. So let me just recap on those seven areas that I've discussed when it comes to knowing why your home is so cold and what you need to consider as you target how to fix it in your existing home or ensure that you avoid the problem in your new home. So number one was orientation and designing for the movement of the sun. Number two, insulation and how to review what you'll need, where and what type. Number three is air tightness and this not being about making your home stuffy but about being able to control how air moves in and out so you don't waste energy heating or cooling your home. Number four was condensation which by itself is not bad but it can then go on to cause mould, building degradation and negative impacts on occupant health. Number five is building envelope construction and windows which when you dive into with your team and discuss for your project actually give you the opportunity to create the right solution for your climate to prevent a cold home. Number six was building wraps which are an important consideration in your building envelope construction so that it performs well. Number seven is thermal bridges and reviewing your home's design and construction to prevent conductivity across your building envelope. So (laughs) Maybe you can see why I struggled to answer this question in a 15-minute radio interview. And hopefully I've provided you with some more thorough and meaningful information that's going to help you navigate this for your project or give you at least places to start and have those conversations with your team. Now, as I've mentioned throughout this episode, there are going to be more episodes coming in the series that I'm kicking off very soon about the National Construction Code 2022, its updates and how to understand uh, the impact on your project. I do know that this can feel overwhelming, okay? I help and support members through this experience in Inside Home Method on a daily basis. And so, you know, it can start to feel overwhelming as you start to dive into it. It can feel super complicated as well. It can feel like there's a lot to remember. Please just know though that this is all about enabling you to build a better performing home. One that actually justifies... Uh, and and rewards you for the money that you're investing in it. And I, I think we've been duped for such a long time in Australia that the standard level of construction is enough for our climate. We're seeing more extreme temperatures, even with the milder times of year, we still have significant issues with mild growth and costly heating and cooling energy bills. And uncomfortable homes as well so and what's always significant for me is when I speak to people who've emigrated here or you know they come to visit here from the US the UK or Europe they're just blown away by how flimsy our homes are compared to what they're used to at home or how they they may look solid in brick but they're just so ridiculously beholden to the outdoor uh, temperature and just don't perform the way that they're used, used to houses performing And, you know, we can feel that like we're a long way from these locations and that these aren't Australian problems. But when you do get to live in a home that actually works because of the way it's been designed and constructed, not because of the money and energy that you're pouring into heating and cooling it artificially, but because it's actually designed properly and it's constructed properly, it is amazing the difference that it's going to make to your well-being overall and just how the house feels and functions. I, you know, I know that I personally, I cannot wait to make this happen in our own home. But for now, what winter looks like is lots of layers, uh, often shoving a hot water bottle up the back of my uh, shirt because <laughs> I can't have heaters on when I'm recording a podcast or doing Zoom interviews and those kinds of things. So you'll often find me in the middle of winter with a hot water bottle up the back of my shirt. Uh, and of course, the dehumidifiers, which if you've followed Undercover Architects social media and emails, you may have seen me talk about recently to recording this episode So if this is what you're dealing with as well, and you want to change it in your reno or your new build, I do hope that this episode has been super helpful for you. And please ensure that you tune into the upcoming episodes because they're going to be super helpful as well. A few reminders for you before I finish up. I've got a transcript of this episode, so you can get a free download of it by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 284. There's also some extra resources there for you as well. Now, secondly, if you're a like-minded industry professional that helps homeowners renovate or build their homes and you'd like to work with the Undercover Architect community members, please check out the UA Army. Uh, You can find information about that by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash army and uh, I'll explain more about it there. And of course, if you would like more structured help and guidance and to feel more confident and in control as you learn the steps from start to finish of your project journey and how to create a great home that you'll love living in, then Home Method is definitely the place for you. You'll join a community of amazing and super informed homeowners on a similar journey to you and you'll access my personalized support and guidance in your project as well. And you can find out more about Home Method by heading to homemethod.com.au or to the Undercover Architect website. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye. Just a reminder, all content on this podcast is provided by Undercover Architect for reference purposes and as general guidance. It does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. You should seek independent verification or advice before relying on this content in any circumstances, including but not limited to circumstances where loss and damage may result. The views and opinions of any guests on the podcast are solely their own and may not reflect the views of Undercover Architect. Undercover Architect endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or has become inaccurate over time.